I sent my oldest son off to a youth retreat this weekend. He was hours away. And like at any time when I'm not with him, I really missed him. But with that great distance and for those several days, I was really feeling the disconnect. I'm so glad that he had his gab phone along. I was able to send him a quick text each evening to ask about his day and to tell him that I was praying for him. Have you heard of these things? The gab phones? That's gab, G-A-B-B. They look and feel a lot like a smartphone, but they aren't connected to the internet in any way. A user can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's about it. With the Gab phone, I had peace of mind knowing that I could get a hold of my son all weekend, but that he didn't have access to the internet. And most importantly, the internet didn't have access to him. He wasn't scrolling social media or being sent shady photos from total strangers. He wasn't wasting time playing video games or being taken advantage of by cyber stalkers. If you too are interested in purchasing a regular cell phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can grab 30% off a Gab phone or a Gab watch right now. Head to GabWireless.com and use promo code mom to mom at checkout. That's capital letters. M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M. So once again, go to gabwireless.com and use promo code mom to mom Welcome to the mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. For better or worse, my husband and I came from two completely different backgrounds when it came to managing money. Consequently, one of us started our marriage as a saver and one of us was a spender. Not surprising each month when it came time to pay the bills, we had a clash of the titans around the calculator. It wasn't pretty. But I don't know that I'd change a second of it. All that frustration, the buckets of tears, and and I'll let you guess who shed more, hours of working and reworking numbers, and finally, a very helpful course on money management taught us a lot not just about being better financial stewards, but also about being better spouses to each other. And perhaps the biggest lesson we learned in those early years of more month than money is that we both had our own deeply rooted struggles with money, both the saver and the spender. Our guest today would love to spare you all those years of tears that my husband and I had to endure. We're joined by Rachel Cruz, Rachel has worked alongside her dad, Dave Ramsey, for the past decade, helping people clean up a financial mess, get out of debt, and build wealth. Her latest book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, Discover Why You Handle Money the Way You Do and What to Do About It, releases today. 
So if you're listening on January 5th, 2021, you're getting the inside scoop. And on a personal note, my very own son is currently listening to Rachel and Dave as they share all about financial freedom in their Foundations for Personal Finance for High Schoolers online course. And it is exceptional. If you've not heard of it, I really welcome you to have a look-see online and get your kids involved in that. Welcome, Rachel, to the show. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and September's not here with us today. We will welcome her back in a couple of weeks when she's going to be coming on and telling us her tips on how to be the thrifty mom. So you're going to start us out, Rachel, and then she's going to follow up. So for over a decade, you've been teaching people how to manage their money, how to budget, how to save, how to get out of debt, and like you said, build wealth. You've written a few books about it, but now you've written another one, and I'm just curious why. What's What's different or important about this particular book and this particular message? Yeah, probably about, gosh, three or four years ago, I went on this own, my own personal journey, if you will, of really understanding myself more. The Enneagram helped with this, personality tests. I read the book Birth Order because I'm a middle child. Oh, and that's how. a fantastic one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, I was in some counseling. I mean, so I was just becoming so aware of myself more than ever and understanding why I do the things I do, why I cope the way I cope. I mean, all of it. And it was just so fascinating to me. And, and because of that, I feel like I was a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, just more in touch with, I think, who I am and then having the empathy for other people too. And so kind of in the middle of that journey, I thought, okay, well, how does this apply to my money? What if I start asking these questions about money? And it ended up being like this black hole of like information. I mean, just, I was like, oh, wow. Because I tell people all the time that personal finance, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I do talk about the head knowledge a lot, how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, all of those things. But really that behavior is when, when you change your behaviors, when you really start to see progress with your money and you start to win. So I thought, okay, then why don't I dig into more why we have the behaviors we have and just having that awareness helps you change bad money behaviors. And I believe just advances your life. And so, yeah, I was like, I just have to write a book about this. That's really how I felt, which I'm thankful for because writing is not my favorite, the most favorite part of my job by any means. Um, so it has to be something that I love. And this is a subject I am just fascinated by and it's helped me and I'm praying it helps other people. Mm -hmm. The thing about behavior though, it's so deeply ingrained in us from early, early on. I know with my husband and I, one of us is the spender, like I said, and one is the saver. And that started when we were just barely old enough to know what money was. In your book, you talk about money classrooms, about how they shape the way we handle money. I'm assuming that has a lot to do with those behaviors that are ingrained in us. Can you explain what those are and, and how they might impact us? Yes, I've heard so many counselors and psychologists talk about how your home growing up was your classroom about life, right? So you learn lessons that you take with you into adulthood. There's lessons I'm sure we all wish we could unlearn from, from growing up. But in the household, that's where we learn everything. And so that's where you learn about money. And money is communicated in two ways. It's communicated verbally and it's communicated emotionally. So as I was writing the book, I was trying to figure out all these different households. And I was, I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, this creates a graph. I was like, Jesus gave me a quadrant and I'm so happy about it. And it really does ways of communication form these four money classrooms. So the first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. So if you grew up in this home, that means communication verbally was closed and emotionally it was stressed. 
So you probably knew there was a lot of tension around money. You probably couldn't pinpoint why because it wasn't talked about, but it was there. Classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. This is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. So lots of conflict, lots of fighting. You may have heard your parents have money fights, maybe had the same fight over and over again, possibly fought with extended family about money, but you just heard about it. Like it was out in the open. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So this is the one that probably your head was in the sands with money growing up. You just never really thought about it because it wasn't talked about, but it wasn't a big deal. It was just kind of like, okay. And then classroom number four is the healthiest money classroom. And that's the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. So to be in this classroom, you don't have to have a lot of money. You could have $10 or 10 million, but you have a sense of control over your money. You have a plan. So the level of stress is lowered and it's talked about. It's not taboo. You're willing to engage in conversations about money on a, on a tactical level and also an emotional level. Mm. I know talking about money and numbers is catnip to some, but it is, it makes me itch. (laughs) So putting it that way in that framework of a a picture or a graph and giving it some real concrete verbiage is very helpful. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, you know, figuring out, okay, this is where I grew up because every, each classroom has its weaknesses. And I find that people either subconsciously just are still in that same money classroom uh, that they grew up in, or they're actually in the opposite. They actually like, like if you look at the graph, they go to the complete opposite because they say, I don't want to be what my parents were growing up. I don't want to do that. So they just go the opposite. So, but you want to make sure, you know, your, your nuclear family now, my prayer is that people move to that classroom number four. But again, looking back in your own story to say, okay, this is how I grew up and let me see how this has affected me. I'm pretty convinced listening to you, I was classroom number two, the fighting, ah, oh my good. goodness, all the time over money crazy but you know we're all wired differently when it comes to money i know my husband and i he's the saver i'm the spender i'm like no we've got plenty of money we can do that and he's like no we have to save and ugh. and i, I mean i'm trying I, i'm really trying I'm, I'm doing much better but um you say that there's seven major money tendencies we all have so i'm fascinated to hear about this so can you share a few of those and why they matter So the money tendencies are just your natural personality. So you're naturally going to lean one way or the other. And these tendencies are not right or wrong. So there's not like a moral compass to them. But again, giving it verbiage to say, okay, that is me. So like you said, spender versus saver. So I'm like you, Kate, I'm the spender in our relationship. My husband is the saver. But being able to say it out loud. Now, the extremes on all of these tendencies can be unhealthy, right? So you don't want to be an extreme spender or we're going to be broke. And you don't want to be an extreme saver because you're just going to hoard and Right. My view, just build bigger barns. And I'm like, no, like, like enjoy (laughs) life. You can enjoy life. So there's that tendency. There's the tendency of when you spend money, do you tend to spend it on experiences or things? So I'm an experienced person. I'm like, I would love a spa day. I would love to go out to eat with friends. I like to take my kids to the zoo. Like I love experiences where my husband, he's things. So for him, he's like, no, if I work hard, I'm going to spend my money on something that I can use over and over and mm-hmm. over again, and it's going to enhance my life and all of it. So we even laugh about our Christmas lists because mine always has a spa gift card. I always ask for it. I'm like, spa gift card would be great. And he like has Alexa light bulbs or something, you know, that he wants to, to set up in the house. So it's very different. But again, having that vernacular is important. So Jamie, Kate, I'm curious about you guys. Are you more experiences or things? I'm kind of both. I mean, there's certain experiences, but there's certain things that I know that I need. Like I want kitchen stuff 
you know, certain things that I need because I love to cook. So there's certain things, you know, more high end, nicer things that I wouldn't normally buy for myself, but some experiences, things I want to do with the grandkids, like you said, like go to the zoo and take them places. I want to do build memories and things with them. So more experiences with them than for myself, because I'm not, I don't like massages and stuff like that. I'm kind of weird that way. Like for me, a spa day wouldn't be what I'd want. It would be something different, but I'm, I'm odd. (laughs) No, I love that. And I think for us, you know, I'm very practical, um, black and white. So I tend to gravitate to the things, although I'm not much of a spender, but if I'm going to spend, it's going to be something very practical. My husband on the other hand is very relational. So he would lean more towards, you know, how you lean and wanting experiences with people. But I think it's wonderful that God paired us together because now we make a great whole, you know, my, my, our kids get to experience both ends of the spectrum and we get to experience both ends of the spectrum because, you know, he, he tugs one way and I tug the other. So it's great. Imagine the world change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes. If we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true, but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in Scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to his word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September and Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, who will be? You talk about fear in your book, which is something that I talk about in my book, so I can completely relate to that. But as it relates to money, fear holds us back in lots of different ways. Can you talk about the different types of fears that we can experience with our finances and our money? Yeah, I talked to Dr. Chip Dodd about fear when I wrote this book. Um, And it was just so fascinating listening to him because he talks about how fear is a gift Mm. and it's literally our body's response that we are in need of something, that we need help. And so when it goes into anxiety, that gets unhealthy. We, we don't want unhealthy fear, right? Unhealthy anxiety. But that initial fear, if you have a money fear, that might be your body literally saying, oh, wow, something needs to be in place. And I think for a lot of people, especially in 2020, during the pandemic, I mean, you look at the stats of America and 40% of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency in cash. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And if you were one that was living like that and then you're furloughed or laid off because the pandemic, you are going to have a lot of fear, but you can use that fear as a gift to say, okay, what are things that I need to put in place? Because the way I'm living with my money today is not working. I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. I don't want to not have savings in the bank. I need to change the way that I'm doing money. So fear can be a really good motivator. Like it can say, hey, what you've been doing is not working. So put some safeguards in place. But again, when it moves into anxiety, we don't want that. But the number one fear that I hear from most people, specifically women, 
is the fear of financial insecurity. So it's the idea of if something were to happen, am I going to be okay? And, and I think a lot of people again experienced this last year. I mean, I even, I, I, I was thinking about this because Winston, my husband, and I, we've been doing, you know, the, the Dave Ramsey plan, if you will, <laughs> since we've been married, I know it's shocked, but uh, like we've been doing it. So we are, we're fine. Like, we don't have debt. We have savings in the bank. We fund retirement. Like we do what we're supposed to do and we give all of it. So on paper, we should be fine. But even in April, there were a few mornings I woke up in April and I remember looking at Winston and I was like, are we going to be okay? Like what is happening to our world? Like what if everything just, just goes away? And so for me, it wasn't a, a tactical fear, a logistical fear. Cause again, on paper we were fine, but I realized for me, that fear was very emotional. And I realized that, wow, I probably put, I put too much security in my money and I didn't even realize it. But the moment it's shaken, the moment it makes me think, God, do, God, do I really believe that you will provide that if all this is taken away is who I am, your child, my identity is in you. Like, do I, do I really truly believe that if all this earthly stuff just goes away? So it made me really kind of reevaluate. So again, the fear can be tactical that you just don't have money in the bank or it can be emotional, which you need to check on that as well. Yeah, I think fear drives us, should drive us to do two different things. You've sort of touched on them. One, bring our fear to the one who can, you know, answer those fears and quiet our fears, calm our hearts, and then lead us to some practical changes that we might need to make. And I think you've touched on both of those. So with the state of our world right now, we all need to learn to save money better. What advice do you have for the mom who has trouble saving money? Maybe it wasn't in her past. Maybe she doesn't even know the right steps to take. What does it look like to save based on your current financial need, your current um, finances and bills? What does that look like for the mom who doesn't have that experience? Yes. Well, I would say small wins are key. So I would say to plan for next month and, and just say, okay, we're going to put X amount of dollars away and make it realistic, right? Don't be like, we're going to put $20,000 away. And it's like, no, 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 that's probably not going to happen. Right. So like look realistically and say, okay, here's the amount of money we're going to put away and save. And what you have to do, you have to learn again, it's about this behavior is that you have to do it. You have to say no matter what. So, so do a budget. I'm a, I'm a pro budget person, but you have your giving, your saving, and then everything else. Cause what ends up happening is people kind of do their budget and they get down to the bottom and they say, well, Rachel, I don't have money to give and to save. Like, yeah, that's because your budget is upside down. So you have to make it a priority. And when you do, then it forces you to save. And I think you have to get to that point of pain as well, which I, I hate that pain. I don't think it can be the only teacher in life, but it is a very thorough teacher. But when you get to this place of pain, we're like, okay, this fear is keeping me up. It's not worth it to live like this. I am going to save. And when you have that moment of no matter what this is happening, you can do anything. You can do anything. You can change your behavior. So in order to do that, again, do small wins, save something next month, and then actually be intentional about it. So do a budget and actually do it. Is there a percentage that you'd recommend for moms to start out saying, you know, this percentage of your income is a good target to hit for saving? Yeah, I'd say it depends on where you are. So if you have no money saved at all, my, my goal for you is actually just $1,000. So it's more of an amount. So say, hey, just get $1,000. So you can start with 10% of your income if that feels comfortable to you. But I want you to do this quickly. So like cutting things out, saying no on going out to eat. I mean, like you make sacrifices to get that $1,000. 
And then once you have no debt, then I would bump that up to three to six months of expenses. And then once you have that cash saved in the bank, that's your fully funded emergency fund, then you can save 15% of your income into retirement for the future. And then anything else in your budget that you want to say like, hey, we're going to save for this car, we're going to save for a vacation, then take those percentages lower for, the, for each item. And if this is a new habit for you, if you're listening to us and this is a brand new habit, I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 45 where we talk about tracking new habits and forming new habits. It'll hopefully give you some productivity tips for doing just that. Mm-hmm. That is such good advice, Rachel. We, we all need to be doing those things just to get that financial base in our lives. But, you know, we all have some bad money habits. Every one of us does. But how can we begin to change those or maybe encourage our spouse to change theirs <laughs> if we have a spouse that has bad money habits? Oh, yeah. We could do a whole podcast on like marriage and <laughs> money. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. There is. Yeah. I would say in order to change, you first have to have hope that what you're changing to is better than your present. And it kind of goes back to that idea that you say, okay, where I am right now, I don't like it. So I have to believe that if I do these things, if I do save, if I do stop going into debt and actually start working my way out, if I do these things, that that life is better. And I can tell you after, for me personally, a decade of doing this job, and then, you know, with Ramsey Solutions being around for almost 30 years, like this works, like your future will be better, will be better when you have actual control over your money. So that hope for the future has to be there. Uh, And that's really the first starting point. But the hard thing is, is a lot of people don't have hope. I mean, a lot of people are stuck in the tactical, their heads are down and they're stressed out and they're freaked out. So what you have to remember is number one, control what you can control. And there's things going on in our world and DC, all the stuff that we can't control. What can you control? Focus on that. And then number two, don't let fear be your financial advisor. Mm. Focus on facts. Look at the facts, do a budget, list out your debt, get as, get as factual as you can about your money situation. And that's going to help the, the ambiguity that's in your head that can cause that fear. And I think too, just remembering that that it's going to require a price. You know, we, we are going to have to sacrifice and not do all the things that we think we're entitled to do, go out to eat, do all those things that we're going to have to sacrifice for a minute. And that's okay to build that, that security and that sense of, you know, hey, I've got something now. I've got a foundation. That's so important, I think. Yeah, that's a great point because it does. It requires sacrifice. But the great thing is, is it's such short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. Like we find people get out of debt in 18 to 24 months. So for two years of your life, for two years, if you buckle down or even less than that, Mm -hmm. you could be completely debt-free and owe no one anything. Like it's it's crazy what your income does when it comes in and it's all yours. And it's two years. Like you can do, it sounds long for some people. Yeah. You, I mean, think about two years ago, like it just was a blink of an eye. So, so yeah, you're right. That's short-term sacrifice. And then you can go back and do the things you want to do. And then you're in the habit of doing it and it becomes yes. a lifelong habit, which is fabulous for us all to have. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, as moms, we want our kids to form that lifelong habit, even if we didn't or haven't yet. So how can we make sure that they grow up with healthy money habits? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's that two, that, that two prong approach. So there's the tactical side of money. So teaching your kids to work, you know, growing up, I was never given an allowance. I was always on commission. So you work, you get paid, you don't work, you don't get paid. 
and teach your kids to give, save, and spend. All three. You get, get little envelopes. You can just write give, save, spend. When you pay them for chores, they have to do all three. And then you kind of start building those three money muscles. So that's the tactical side, which is really important. Um, and if you have teenagers, get them a checking account and help them. I mean, like all of that. You can kind of start enforcing that stuff. But then the emotional side, and I think the spiritual part of this is really important to teach generosity, to teach contentment to teach that God owns it all. Like we are just stewards. We are managers of what he has given us. He owns it. And to, and to enforce that emotional side of money, because we are a culture, which we all know, that is so focused on just stuff and acquiring and bigger and better and spending and living that certain lifestyle that we just think we deserve. And it's all up here. And, and it's so easy to get sucked into that. But to teach our kids, listen, it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. We're not going into debt for our stuff and it's not going to have us with our identity and our joy and our contentment. It's not because if you grow up learning that, the, that foundation as a kid and seeing your parents live that out, oh, that will, that will change the game. And I think too, it's important to know your kids. Some of your kids will struggle with the giving end. Um, I know as a child, I struggled with the spending end and was such a hoarder, but I had to learn to open my hand up and be able to release my money to be able to buy things, you know, when I needed to. So it, you know, I think you have to know your kids and know which, which of those three things really need some prodding and some prayer and some example setting from your own life. Yes. I mean, that's a great point. Yeah. They're naturally going to have their own money tendencies, right? <laughs> like as adults, we do, they're going to have that too. So to, to honor that and steward that well within your kids is yeah, extremely important. Right. Well, your wallet tells the story of what you value mamas, your behaviors declare your beliefs. Perhaps that's a scary thought for you. If so, the good news is that once you determine why you handle the money, the way you do, you can take steps to change those behaviors you can determine what story your wallet tells from here on out. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. It's just been such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. And be sure to check out Rachel's book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, Discover Why You Handle Money the Way You Do and What to Do About It on shelves today, wherever books are sold. And thank you for joining us. We're not done talking about money. Be sure to join us in a few weeks when we'll be sharing tips about stretching those dollars in order to keep more of them in your pocket. Until then, join the conversation over on Instagram or Facebook at mom to mom podcast.